Matt Spazer, welcome to the Button Up Podcast. Hey, John. Hey, Brock. Thank you for having me. Great to have you here in the Gotham studio in New York in person and get to see your uh, your James Bond-styled outfit today. Yeah, I uh, I try to um, dress like, I mean, James Bond in my own way, um, especially whenever uh, I have to do anything James Bond-related. All right. So we have the suits of James Bond is the blog, and that's the original place that I remember finding you when I worked my desk job a very long time ago. And it's been great to see you just keep it up. You have you have delved into James Bond style in a way that I don't know that anybody else has ever thought this deeply about it. Yeah, well, I've been at this for ten years, almost almost ten years with the blog. Now I have the uh, also um, I'm on the From Taylor's with Love podcast um, that I co-host with Pete Brooker, and uh, that keeps me busy as well with this stuff. Yeah, well, we want to get into that and how it started and everything. But how early do you remember? some of your formidable James Bond memories as it relates to, you know, the style of, of the character. The style, yeah. Um, I mean, my earliest memories of James Bond itself were probably watching Moonraker on television when I was a very, very young kid, maybe at like maybe three years old, I don't know. But I probably got started getting interested in the style maybe when I was about maybe 11. I, it's hard to... Hard to quite remember when I first got it got started, but uh, you know I liked used to like to like sketch pictures of James Bond and and uh, just the clothing was very important, getting the clothing right, and uh, I noticed the differences between just different dinner jackets and just different suits, and uh, I think I, I just kind of wanted to know more about that. Because your formidable Bond is Roger Moore, right? Yeah, Roger Moore is my Bond. Yeah. Your formidable Bond, because Connor would have been around, but it seems like he's the one that, that you most identify with. Yeah, I was probably taught to like Sean Connery the best when I was a kid. And then my, my friends were all into Pierce Brosnan. But but uh, after just watching more and more Roger Moore, he, he, just, he was my favorite. Mm-hmm. You can always tell, like Brock and I, Pierce is, is our Bond. Right. You can tell a lot about a person by who their bond is. Well, I mean, I am from the, the purest generation. Yeah. Although I, I do feel that a lot of people that are like that are like um, our age probably have converted to Craig. Yes. Agreed. That is yeah. true. I think a lot of people have left Pierce behind. Not me. Pierce for life. <laughs> yeah. I still think he looks like what I think James Bond looks like, you know, and I and he's not quite so serious. So that, to me, that's James Bond. But yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think he definitely has the look. I mean, both you guys, your 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 hair is kind of like Pierce. You have that. I mean, especially like like uh, Brock. You you I think you 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 kind of have like the golden eye look going on with your hair, with the the wave a bit and uh... pretty Irish. <laughs> <laughs> we're blushing. That was, that was very nice. <laughs> what were you? Were you generally already into kind of style and menswear, even at a young age, or was it Bond that got you into that? You know, I, I was into style and menswear on some level um, when I was a really, like, very little kid. Um, um, something actually that John and I had bonded over, I was, I was uh, inspired by Mr. Rogers. Hmm. I wanted to wear a cardigan and a tie like, like Mr. Rogers when I was a very, very young kid. Yep. And then... Uh, at some point, I got more into the Bond style. I was still quite young, but I, you know, I like just whenever I dressed up, I would wear a blazer, as many kids uh, that uh, around me would would wear, and and I guess I would see Roger Moore as the blazer Bond and want to dress wear wear the blazer like like Roger Moore did. Hmm. And so, is this something that? A passion that grew as you got into high school, and or did it wax and wane, or how did that? Oh, go? No, it it kind of always grew. Um, like so, um, like I say, like in high school for my senior prom, when I had to wear you know, a dinner jacket, I, I looked to James Bond to see exactly how to do it. I so I did some research. I looked to see what all the James Bonds were wearing, what all the different James Bonds wore. You know, at the time, Pierce Brosnan was Bond. Well, he was, yeah, he was, he kind of had finished his bond at that point. Um, but I was, uh, you know, I wanted a, the peak lapel dinner jacket that he wore. I wanted it just to look like that. I didn't quite know all the details at that time. I, my eye wasn't quite as trained as it is now. 
there was no great blog that had all the details for it. I think that's what is hard about. Like I remember being really into the Titanic as a kid and going to the library and I wanted every book on the Titanic. Like I couldn't even imagine if I could Google Titanic today and find all those resources. Like you were also in the age yeah. before you could just go onto a computer and find everything. Yeah. I did get a really big Titanic book when I was a kid. Okay, so that's also why we, we connect so well. <laughs> <laughs> I think about that a lot. Like if my parents had, had fostered that a little more and like said go into some kind of like oceanography studies, like I might be an oceanographer right now because I was so – I want to know every detail about the Titanic and why it sank and why it failed and what happened to it later on. Like that is uh, – that's a surprise fact for the day that I, I love the <laughs> Titanic. But But there really weren't that many resources I'm sure back then to Google and he had to rely on the books probably from Eon in order to find out what type of clothing he was wearing and, and the gadgets. Because I remember reading Bond books as a kid too. Yeah. Um, I had a book. I think it was – I think it's called The Secret World of 007 maybe. I think it's one of those uh, DK books. And that book had uh, a spread on James Bond's clothes. And uh, so I had a picture of Pierce Brosnan in, uh, in, his, in his golden eye dinner suit, the three-piece dinner suit. And then it had a picture of him in uh, one of his suits from The World Is Not Enough. And, uh, you know, I had, had like three of his World Is Not Enough ties and uh, a bunch of other things. And that, that was like really interesting to me. I like, really just that whole spread. I would just, just like examine it and just learn everything I could. And, and uh, at that time, I guess that was really what James Bond style meant to me, seeing Pierce Brosnan wear those Brioni suits. Were there other film characters that you identify with their style, or has it always been Bond? I mean, Bond's been the main one. I I have looked into other um, characters, especially ones that, that the James Bond actors played. So like when I was a kid, I'd also watch Remington Steele and examine Pierce Brosnan's clothes there because um, there's a lot of clothes on that show. And it, it inspired me in other ways as well. Like, um, I think, because he always wears a pocket square in that show, always. Even there's uh, one episode and his, he's wearing, um, his suit jacket is off. He has a shirt with a breast pocket. He has a pocket square in <laughs> the shirt's breast pocket. That's a little overboard, but I, I really uh, – that, that inspired me just to, to really be in, into pocket squares. What was it about the character, I guess, that made you want to emulate his style? I think it's just that James Bond did so many things so well. Figured, well, he he's dressing well. He must be doing. I mean, I, he, the way he dresses must be just one of the great things that James Bond does. One of the great many things that he does well. And there's ways that we look up to Bond. There are some ways that we shouldn't be looking up to Bond. But I think his, his clothing is one of the more harmless ways to look up to him. Mm-hmm. So then as a kid, did you have a computer around the house? Because I also try to find like there weren't that many people. I should say there were a lot of blogs back when you started the blog, but it was people who were on the internet and were very techni- technically literate. Like when did computers come into the, the factor for you? Oh, I mean, I – whenever I had a computer – I mean, I had a computer long before I was into James Bond. I mean, not long before, but a few years before. And uh, when I had the internet, then I'd look up all these James Bond things that I could find online. I think um, must have been the f- the first. Uh, I mean, the first big big James Bond style website must have been uh, James Bond Lifestyle that that Remert uh, von Braun um, is still running. I mean, he's he's been doing that for a very long time. And that was around before mine, and um, it's a place that I definitely spent a lot of time looking at that site. I, I can't uh, remember. I, mean, I I I would say that that site. I mean, it didn't really inspire me to create mine because it was a great site and I, I didn't want to outdo that site in any way because I wanted to do something different. Because um, his site doesn't focus so much on style as it focuses on the actual products. And it was a great place where I learned about where, um, where a lot of the, at least the, the more contemporary James Bond um, clothing items came from. I mean, I had a book... There's a, um, an interesting book called uh, Dress to Kill, which came out in, I think, 1996. In that book, 
that, that book, um, I think I, I think I started my site because that book didn't tell me what I wanted to learn from it. It's a big mm-hmm. book that doesn't tell you all that much about James Bond's style. Mm-hmm. It focuses on some other things in film, and I, I feel like the style of what it talks about is not detailed at all. It's very general. And seeing that, reading that book was, I learned a little, but not nearly as much as I wanted to. Hmm. Well, I'd say if anybody reads your site, they should know that your middle name is actually Detail because like the, the level of intricacy that you go into in the suits is like is very impressive. And it's one of the things that I can remember reading the site and I was like, this guy knows more about clothing than I've ever forgotten about any topic in my entire life. <laughs> and so it's interesting that you had seeked out the information, but you couldn't find it. And so then that's what inspired you to really get the blog going. Yes, that's part of it. I. Well, I guess I think first I had what I had to do was learn more about clothes in general, learn more about tailored clothes, learn more about um, what these clothes are so I can identify them. Because if I didn't know anything about clothes in the first place, I, I wouldn't be able to look at the film and understand what I was looking at. It's also tough on a VHS because it's very blurry. Yeah, that was mm-hmm. tough. And and the old DVDs, when they, when they all first came out on DVD, the DVD was no better than a VHS. Right. At least with the DVD, I could put it in my computer and uh, pause it very easily and go back and research things and just keep looking at the same thing over and over again. So that was something that the DVD helped with. And then when they all came out on Blu-ray um, when 2012, that, that really also changed things. I had already been doing the blog for two years, and there were some of the films on Blu-ray. So I was able to look at those and figure out a little more than I could from the DVDs that I had been looking at. I'd been looking at James Wan's clothes on DVD long before I had started my blog. I had compiled a whole lot of research by the time I had started my blog. I didn't just start it and then go from there and figure out what to do. I, I kind of had a plan already. Right. Because that's that's one of the things I always note, too, is you, you have the, the best screenshots of some of the clothing that goes in there. But even then, sometimes you have screenshots, and I'm like, I don't know how I identified this because – uh, it's, that is one of the things I feel like is, is one of your, your great secrets is to know not just what type of fabric it is, but who made the fabric and where it's from and the tailors. Like you have such an encyclopedic knowledge that you're able to, to identify so many of the, the things. Well, some of those things, especially like who made some of the fabrics, um, in the nineties, there were some articles that were, people did talk with Brioni and, uh, they found out where a lot of the but where Pierce Brosnan's um, suitings came from. Um, because even though they were made, um, suits were made in, by Brioni in Italy, they used um, a lot of different English um, cloth mills, cloth merchants, which were which was very, really, really nice that they still stuck with a lot of English things there. What do you remember about when you first started the blog? Was there a certain article that ended up getting spread really far? Like what were some of the first things you focused on that, that you started to know you were onto something? I don't know. I think it took a while because I was just, I was just writing out some of the things in articles that just things that I was interested in, things that I wanted to, um, I wanted to share, things that I thought were interesting about James Bond's clothing, and then you know people started reading it. I think I, I, mean, I knew some people that I was able to share it with when I first started it, and then they probably share it with others. The first big thing, I'm not even sure. I think it definitely got a lot of attention into, uh, around the release of Skyfall because I had, I mean, that was the first Bond film to be released during the time I, I mean, after I had started my blog. And um, the New York Times took note of it, and a reporter there had, I can't actually even remember if, if, uh, if, this, if the reporter asked me for a quote or if the reporter just pulled something from my blog. But so I had been very critical of the fit of the suits in Skyfall, which, which was something that we had never seen James Bond wear clothes that looked too tight on him before. So that was very shocking to me at the time, and it was something that I had commented on, and that, that this reporter in the New York Times took note of that. Mm-hmm. And, what, and what did they say? What did the what, what did they? I guess what quote did they pull from from you, or did they have an opinion on on your opinion? I can't remember exactly what happened. the The article was called 006 and a Half." <laughs> <laughs> it was a very very clever uh, title, 
Uh, and the the uh, I think the costume designer Jani Tamim was quoted in the article, and then my response to the fit uh, was, was quoted in there. And I don't think the uh, the article itself didn't I don't think took a uh, took an opinion on this. Mm. Just uh, but just using my opinion. It reported that the blogosphere was unha- was unhappy with James Bond's new suits. I don't, I, I, I remember that because I remember you had posted something about getting into the New York Times, which is like getting the New York Times is very exciting for Big. yeah. But uh, did you had you done content related to the casino, like Casino Royale releases then too? Because well, I had done content related to every Bond film by that point because I started in 2010, so I had 22 official Eon. Bond films to work from, and I had also touched on, you know, other films like Never Say Never Again. Probably, I might have even I had already gone into some of the other, just some other um, things that are somewhat related to Bond style, like uh, Roger Moore and The Saint and Pierce Brosnan and Remington Steele. Because those are things that I've also touched on on my blog. And when when you were publishing all this content, I know you had a plan, but. Was the goal to kind of document everything you knew or was it to keep learning more? Did you want to build a community around this or like find other people that were into it? Yeah, definitely both of that. Yeah. I wanted to, you know, let, just share everything that I know. And sometimes, you know, if there's – if I don't know something and I don't mention it in an article, someone will be like, well, like you left this out or – you know, uh, or they'll, they'll ask me, like, well, what is this? And if I didn't write it down, I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know the answer. But then I, I do, I have learned a lot from people that have, um, you know, I have a lot of comments under each post, and I do welcome people to share what they know, what their opinions. I'm really interested to hear what other people have to say about this. And that's something that, that I've really enjoyed about my blog is, is having a, you know, other people be able to, to comment and I can learn from other people because I've learned a lot. Was that ever surprising that there were other people out there that were not only as into James Bond style, but also who knew more than you? Yeah, well, I mean, I I think there are, yeah there are some people that know more than me about a lot of things, and I I do. I, one reason why I started this site was also to hopefully that these people would share with me what they know, because mm-hmm. I I still I want to learn. And totally. there, there's a lot more about James Bond clothes that no one seems to know. Like, where did Roger Moore get some of his ties? We don't know that. Hmm. And that, that's something. I know where he got some of his ties. Um, he got some of them from his uh, from his tailor, Doug Hayward, in the 80s. Don't know where his 70s ties came from. And that's that's like a mystery that me and maybe uh, maybe like two other people want to know. <laughs> But it's got to get on the blog at some point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Someday, it's like Indiana Jones, you'll, you'll crack it at some crack, point. Yeah. If you I don't, you. it might never be discovered. Right, <laughs> right. So then as that's as you're growing the blog and you're writing and you're diving into all the films, is that also informing your personal style and the way that you want to interpret the Bond style? Oh, yes. Um, learning more about Bond style is – I think it's, it's. I think it's just unraveled a lot of mysteries for me. It's taught me about a, a lot about clothes. I've learned a lot about clothes through Bond. Like before, I can't remember when it was that I learned about uh, grenadine ties. Cause that, that's what I'm, I'm wearing one right now. Mm-hmm. They're, they're my favorite ties. Cause that's what Sean Connery wears as Bond. Roger Moore had one in Fear Eyes Only. Um, they're very fashionable right now. People like, love them. Um, I think, and I think the internet helped them take off, but I was really into them before that. And uh, there was I mean, Turnbull and Asser sold them, but before I ever went into a Turnbull and Asser, I I couldn't find out what they were. No one else sold them. No no one in uh, no other store, probably in New York, was selling them. Maybe where they were, I think a few. I think well, Brioni had them, but they were just this this silk, this Italian silk, is just something that I think a lot of Americans didn't know about. They were very popular in, in a lot of English brands at the time, um, long before they became popular worldwide. Hmm. So even though James Bond was wearing them, that trend didn't necessarily, um, you know, stick. Yeah, I think a lot of things that James Bond wore were just too exclusive to become big trends. And, uh, 
especially in the 60s, when Americans could look at a James Bond suit and they'd see it with through American eyes. They'd see it through what they knew. They didn't know about, you know, about the side adjusters and the trousers. That was an English thing, and Americans would, would not have known what those were. So I think one of the... Um, one example that it kind of explains that is um, in the movie Catch Me If You Can, when Leonardo DiCaprio was getting that copy of a Goldfinger suit. Have you guys seen that film? Mm. So he's he's getting a copy of a Goldfinger suit, and the suit is it's 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 a light gray three piece suit, and that's where the similarities end. And I think that I mean I, at that time Americans would not have been able to to no one would, could have stopped to pause the film to to examine the clothes. And I think that an American tailor, I mean, this, I think this film was very accurate in how they showed what an American interpretation in the, 19, in the mid-1960s could have been of a British suit because they, they, were, they were just so different. Americans didn't put pleats on their trousers at the time. They were, they were just, um, you know, they didn't put like, uh, lapels in the waistcoat. There were just so many small things that make the James Bond style so special. Mm-hmm. And do you think now, since we're in the internet age, now Bond's character and what he's wearing can influence trends in menswear a little bit? I think it can. I mean, he always has to some extent, but now he can influence them to a to a greater level of detail than he ever did because I think people can can take better note of these details, and th- and we have been seeing that. We've been seeing. Um, I mean, you have lots of. Um, Places that make replicas of film clothes, and they can make better replicas of James Bond clothes than they had before mm. because of this. But it's also easier to get a hold of the actual clothes that James Bond wore, whether it's um, whether it's the brand that's selling them to the public, or you have um, exhibits. There was a great exhibit that I went to London for in 2012 called Designing 007, and there you could see a lot of the clothes. There have also been auctions where people can examine the actual James Bond clothes. And uh, these these things, just being able to get closer to what the clothes mean they are, mm-hmm. has, has, has definitely changed things for the world of James Bond clothes. You know that Amiga will always release a special edition along with the movie as it's coming out, so you can always pick up that too. Yes, you can definitely pick that up, but which is not usually a replica of a James Bond watch. It, it happened so with Spectre, and because uh, they released that that film watch, mm-hmm. uh, and but their special editions are usually something more like a Mickey Mouse watch. Oh uh, yeah, they quite often are. Not always. Sometimes they make some very nice James Bond watches, but sometimes they just they just have uh, a whole dial covered in 007s. Yeah. And what are you wearing? I'm wearing an Omega Speedmaster. I nice. got this in 2001 hmm. as the, the triple date. So I wear this one a lot. This is like my everyday watch. I've been wearing it almost every day since um, 2001. Nice. And is that a brand affinity because at that point Pierce had been wearing the Omega watches? It, might have, it had a little to do with it. There were a lot of watches I was interested in at the time. I I think it was... I mean, I had. Uh, there was. I mean, I thought Rolexes were great. Breitlings were great. There were a lot of great watches that I really liked at the time. I just happened to get this watch. I think because I liked it. I think I just really liked the way it looked. I just thought all those, all all the different sub dials and hands were just so cool. Mm-hmm. And because this, I mean, if I, I think if I was really into getting it because of Bond, I would have gotten the, the Brosnan Seamaster. Mm-hmm. Nobody could have known the speedy would have become the internet darling that it is today. Yeah. True. So how do you feel about uh, – you were critical of some of, of how tight the clothes were in, in Skyfall. And that does that go for the formal and casual clothing? More of the tailored the formal tailored, clothes. Okay. When, you, when you have like a, a tight polo shirt, that's not – I don't – I think that's okay. Polo shirts – Stretch their knits can stretch the you know sweaters can stretch to mm-hmm. to kind of uh, follow the curve of the body. Tailored clothing doesn't do that to the same extent. It it can't do that as well. So that's I I think that Daniel Craig um, I I think that actually he probably looks his best in the casual clothes. Mm-hmm. 
because um, they really work to the strengths of his of his uh, physique. Mm-hmm. The tailored clothing, the tailored clothing is not meant to show off a muscular physique, and it can tend to look um, if it's well fitted. Even even when it is well fitted on a, on someone who's muscular, it can look just boxy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely makes it harder to fit if you have uh, athletic proportions. Yeah, I, mean, I think like Arnold Schwarzenegger has never really looked all that great in a suit. Mm-hmm. T-shirt though, dude looks great, and that's how Daniel Craig is. Like I think of Daniel Craig in a polo, and it's like that is a fit dude. Yeah, or the bar brown trunks. Yes. <laughs> oh yeah, but I li- I, li- I really like Daniel Craig in a polo more th- more so than in a t-shirt. I think the collar of a polo shirt is definitely more flattering to to most people, mm-hmm. and uh, it kind of gives him an elegance that a t-shirt doesn't give him, but it still shows off what he's worked so hard to achieve. Yeah. Now you're wearing. Uh, you're wearing your Connery cuffs. It looks like your cocktail I, uh, cuffs. Well, no, actually, these these are this is a um, a, a button down cocktail cuff. So this is something. Well, actually, Connery did wear this in Never Say Never Again. Roger Moore wore this um, uh, mostly in uh, the uh, Persuaders, but also in The Saint. And that this is this shirt is made by Frank Foster, who was uh, who was Roger Moore's shirt maker. Well, I know what I, I asked too because I know you've been involved in helping to sketch some of the you've you've sketched some more accurate designs for the for the cuffs, right? And you worked with some of the companies in order to get that correct. Yes, I have worked with a few different companies. And is that that's just because you you know what it's supposed to be? They don't necessarily know the details, and you're you're just trying to spread the knowledge you've you've accumulated. Yes, that's pretty much it. I, I, and I do want to. I really just wanted to figure out what the like. What's primarily the Connery cuff, because um, that is not a cuff that Trimble and Asser offers in their collection. They have their own type of cocktail cuff, which is a little different, which they developed at some point later on. And but but I think Terminal Asser has of late has been trying to uh, replicate the Connery cuff in their bespoke clothes, and I have seen I have I know some people have gotten that more accurate cuff from them, but it's um it, it's still never quite right. Whenever I see it, it never looks quite the same as it does on Connery. Hmm. But then again, nothing does. <laughs> that might be more the attitude, <laughs> right? <laughs> have you had many? Many companies, either menswear companies or like costume designers or anybody involved with with the bond industry, reach out to you for help. No one's reached out to me for help on the on the actual films. No, but people did use my blog for research for that Designing 007 exhibit back mm-hmm. in 2012. I went into Turnbull and Asser around at that time in in London. They had a whole mood board of pictures they printed out from my blog. Wow. That's really cool. <laughs> I, I walked into the store. I introduced myself to a salesperson, and he took me down to the basement and showed me what they were doing with my work. That must have been quite a moment. Yeah, and then I went to the exhibit like the next day, and I still noticed they got some things wrong. Hmm. Jeez, they got to get you. They got to get you involved earlier. Yeah, they, they do. <laughs> now, have you worked with them since the that exhibit? I have not worked with them. They are aware of what I do, but I. Generally, do not. Um, I haven't worked with them. Um, um, I haven't. I mean, I, I've. You know, they um, different companies that have done work on you know, have worked on some of the clothes. They have occasionally reached out to me. M- mostly, my friend David Zaritsky, who you've recently spoke with, he he gets he gets most of the attention. <laughs> he does great work. He he does incredible work. Yeah, it's kind of cool. You know, you you and David and a few other guys, there's kind of a, a niche community now um, that seems to have grown probably since you started, right? Yeah, well, I mean, this goes back, I mean, to, I mean, the Bond lifestyle with, with that Remert started. David Zeritsky was working on that, and then he branched off onto the, into the Bond experience. I think he started the Bond experience after I started my blog, hmm. I think. I can't remember when he started that. He's been doing that for a while now. Well, what he told us is he went straight to YouTube because he didn't like to write, which we, which I very much aligned with. Yeah, and I'm definitely more of a writer. I mean, it took me quite a while to just become comfortable doing a podcast. Um, because Pete, who I do the podcast with, he was doing a different podcast 
Um, best this was back in 2016, and he reached out to me because he wanted to interview me for his for the menswear style podcast that he was working on, and I was really hesitant to do it, and he he coaxed me into it. Um, that was I think that was the first podcast I had ever done. So I, I was really nervous to do it, but Pete was really encouraging, and he still is a very encouraging person. He's a really great person to work with. Menswear Style Podcast, right? Yeah, yeah, I listen to that one all the time. Well, you got you got a great voice for podcasting. Oh, thanks. Sounds my, like NPR in here. <laughs> yeah, my uh, high school orchestra teacher told me that I had a great speaking voice when we had to do a. Uh, it was it was a record we had to record our practicing and then and introduce the pieces that we were practicing hmm. and she was the first person to tell me that I had a great speaking voice well, she yeah. she knew what she's talking about it does sound like NPR hmm. but but it was she said that because my playing wasn't so good ah <laughs> backhand and play to your strengths yeah <laughs> it's like a face for radio yeah. so then what what would you say then are like the top three brands that are associated with the Bond franchise outside of Omega that we already talked about? Right now? Uh, just historically. Because it seems like there are some brands that run through most of the, the series. Yeah, I would say Turnbull and Asser is one of the biggest. They've they've made a big name for themselves with Bond. Um, and for a while, they weren't even – they didn't really seem to care about it. Now, now they do. Now they, I think they understand the power it can bring, and they they want to um, use that power. So that's one of them. Even though they haven't done anything on the film since Casino Royale in two thousand six, but I think right now the the brands, um, I think the brands are more important now than they had ever been before. They have a lot. They get a lot more attention now. So Tom Ford, which has been with Bond since um, 2008 and Quantum of Solace, shortly after Tom Ford founded his own brand. And that that is, um, I mean, Tom Ford didn't even um, do much about Bond until Spectre. They didn't release Bond lines. They made it quite difficult to get the actual Bond clothes. But now it's it's a much um, easier. The I've heard that they are going to be re- releasing a Bond line to coincide with No Time to Die. So then I, I so I think that that's also been a really big Bond brand. Um, I mean now we have brands like uh, Olabar Brown and, and Peel that have released 007 lines. They don't have quite the history with Bond, but they've um, really embraced it. Hmm. And I, I think to the community, that means a lot. Yeah. It seems like Anthony Sinclair is also – they're one of the original brands, right? That was Sean Connery's. Sean Connery's Taylor, Anthony Sinclair, yeah. and Taylor, Sean Connery for six films. Um, George Lazenby bought a uh, an un – I guess a suit that Sean Connery didn't pick up. Oh, yeah. And, that was in his Hulu, do- his Hulu documentary. Yeah. He went, he went to Anthony Sinclair and he, there was a suit that Connery didn't pick up and Lazenby bought it from, from uh, Sinclair. And uh, this, which is um, quite an incredible story, and that's a great way that it ties in the brand. So yeah, now I mean Mason and Sons has that. They've been uh, running. Uh, they've, they've been tailoring suits with the uh, Anthony Sinclair name for close to a decade now. Yeah, I remember seeing that one on David Zerisky's, uh YouTube channel. He got the Masons and Sons Anthony Sinclair suit. Yeah, yeah, I have a lot of clothes from them. They've they've done a lot for of um, they they they've uh, sold clothes from different from other Bond brands as well. Like the uh, they they um, a number of years ago now they brought out the the Slazenger jumper from Goldfinger, which is great. I mean, I I wear that. I wore it. Uh, I wore it to work last week, and one of my coworkers is like, "Man, that's a nice sweater." And like it's good enough for Bond, yeah. Yeah, and for some reason that one he notices. He doesn't notice any of my other sweaters, but that one he does, and it, it is great to wear that. But yeah, a lot of the Anthony Sinclair. So now Mason and Sons only uh, uses the Anthony Sinclair name for their suits made in England, and I so I have one of their uh, bespoke dinner suits that I wore um, to my wedding, and it's just it's it's beautiful. Now, for the footwear, too, it seems like Alden is used quite a bit. 
No, it was a um, Crockett and Jones. Crockett and Jones. Crockett and Jones. I'm wearing those their boots right now, and Crockett and Jones has been with Bond since Skyfall. I was wearing Crockett and Jones a number of years before that because they're just such a wonderful um, British shoe brand. I feel like they're uh, they're not so they're not too expensive. I mean, they're definitely expensive, but because the quality is really great. Um, but you know, they're not like like John Lobb. They're not so far out of reach and I think so I think that they they are one of the more accessible brands and I I do prefer them over churches which Bond had been wearing on and off since uh, GoldenEye the churches don't fit me so well they're too wide for my feet I can remember Crockett and Jones because I wanted the chuckas that Daniel Craig wore in Skyfall and I remember finding it on James Martin Lifestyle and that was the first time that I was like wow there are shoes that are more expensive than $300 in this world. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. But they, they are a better value if you can buy them if you're in uh, England. Over mm-hmm. here, that goes for most British clothing. The, I guess the uh, when, they, when they bring them here, there's just all the uh, – probably just the, plus the exchange rate plus the import duties. And it, it just makes them, them a bit more out of reach for Americans. So mm-hmm. I've bought my uh, I bought some of my Crockett and Jones over in England. I've bought them here on sale. Just mm-hmm. wear them right home. Shout out mm-hmm. to Harris. I know Harris has quite a closet of Crockett and Jones. Yeah, Harris has a great wardrobe. Yeah. Was there like a golden era of Bond style in your opinion, or any like single maybe outfits that really stand out? I I think uh, Goldfinger is probably the gold standard of Bond clothes. Because it ha- I mean, it introduces the white dinner jacket. It has that, uh, the, you know, the, the hacking jacket that Mason and Sons has uh, been making now for a little while. And I have one of those. And um, it has the, the famous three-piece Glencheck suit. That, that was one of those suits that um, no, no one seemed to notice it was a Glencheck until I pointed it out. A lot of people call it a sharkskin suit. Um, one of your former guests mentioned that. Hmm. Yeah, it need, you need to have that 4K Blu-ray restoration to really see it. Yeah, I think I, I can't remember if I if I needed the Blu-ray for it to to notice that check. I I think I noticed it on the DVD. There's mm-hmm. a close-up of his pocket. But yeah, I think so. I think that film just those those outfits. I think make Goldfinger um, one of the most stylish Bond films, and I think one of the most uh, important for style. I mean, Dr. No did a lot of stuff just to establish Bond style, and um, all of his suits, his dinner suit, they're all beautiful in that film. Thunderbolt got some great things, and I really loved what George Lazenby wore. Not quite everything, but a lot of it. What's wrong with kilts? James Bond in a kilt? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not Scottish, so I, I don't think I could uh, have a say in that one. <laughs> yeah, true. Is there a direction that – do you want to see it move back in that direction or how do you think in a perfect world, in your perfect world, how would how would Bond style move forward in, you know, to, in today's society? Yeah, I think it should – I mean I would like to see the tailored clothes go more back to the English tailors. didn't think that was possible until Kingsman. Kingsman has shown that you can have action heroes wearing you know, English bespoke suits. So you're a fan of the the way that Kingsman has portrayed English style? I think yeah, I think they've done a lot to um, to really draw attention to English tailoring in a way that Bond has not done in a long time. And I think at the time that Bond was doing it, it was so out of reach for most of the world because you had to go to England. I think there were some tailors that traveled probably to New York and Washington D.C., but not too many other places. So if you weren't if you, you probably didn't even know what that was. I mean, when Sean Connery mentioned Savile Row and Dr. No, I wonder how many people actually knew what Savile Row was. I don't imagine many Americans did. Hmm. Do you think this suit is dead? Oh, no. No? No. Um, one, one thing I think that I liked about the, uh, what, what, about the suits that we've seen so far for No Time to Die is that he's wearing this, uh, Daniel Craig is wearing a, this, um, this lightweight corduroy suit. And I think that suit um, is what it what it's, it's done is um, I mean that suit is I think it because it's a more relaxed suit. It's not your stiff Savile Row suit. It's a suit I think for the modern man. It's a suit for someone who um, who doesn't need to wear a suit. 
It's something that it's a you can wear this suit. You you can wear the trousers and the jacket separately. You can wear them together. You can wear them. I mean, Daniel Craig is wearing it with with a tie. You you can you don't need a tie for that suit. It it'll look great without one. I think there's a lot you can do with that kind of dress down suit. Something that you you can put on for the weekend, and uh, just just wear it if you have enough confidence. So the suit's not dead. No, it's good. Some people, one of our uh, former guests would argue the suit is dying a slow, painful death. But I think it, when you wear it right, like the corduroy, I have a corduroy blazer that I really love to wear, like in the fall. Like that's that's one of my go-to pieces. I like that. Yeah, I think corduroy can be great. Uh, you can you can really do a lot with it. And um, you don't have to worry about looking like you're so dressed up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like, I think that for most guys, the suit is something you're still going to need because you're going to wear it to your wedding and funerals and maybe job interviews. But I, I like the, the more casual nature of modern suits with, you know, soft shoulders and mm-hmm. and just kind of easier to wear. Um, not that that's appropriate for every occasion, but that's kind of the suit that I gravitate toward. Yeah, I, I still like those more structured suits. But the nice thing about um, a lot of the English bespoke suits, like especially the ones that uh, Sean Connery and, and uh, Roger Moore wore, those suits actually have quite soft shoulders. Like my uh, my Anthony Sinclair bespoke suit has just about no shoulder padding. Hmm. It had although it does feel a bit stiff, mm-hmm. it, but it actually is it's it's actually very light. So I can wear that and I, I feel very comfortable. I don't feel like I'm wearing a suit of armor like uh, you might get from some of the uh, military tailors in Savile Row. Hmm. But Bond often wore more modern English tailored suits that were lightweight. Now Sean Connery. Because he was so muscular, um, his suits looked kind of built up, even though they weren't, because there was just so much of him underneath them. Yeah, makes sense. One of the things that came out of your interview with David Sritsky is that you don't go out in public in a T-shirt. Yeah, no. That seems to be a very strong conviction you have. Is, is, there, any, is there any deeper reason to that? Yeah, I haven't done that since I was about 10 years old. <laughs> it's just not enough coverage, not enough uh, formality. Is that what it is? Yeah, I, I do think that men, just about all men, look better when they have some kind of collar on their neck. It's also why I'm a fan of higher shirt collars and not um, some of the lower, like, tiny shirt collars that are trendy today. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's why I kind of like Roger Moore's Frank Foster shirts with their really high collars. And that that kind of, that's one thing that's really inspired me. So I, I think they just, they give a man a more powerful look. Hmm. It's true. It's the suit it's made for. It's got that V. It's got all the shapes for making guys look as powerful as they can be. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we do a series of rapid-fire questions uh, that you haven't prepared for, but if you're up for it, we'd like to run through just like one or two-word answers. Well, I have listened to your podcast before. Yeah, so. but we, we changed them up because we knew. Oh, no, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> I was like, oh, we did? Yeah, you'll you'll be familiar with some of these. <laughs> Oxfords or Brogues? So th- this is one that I – how do you answer this? Because you can have Brogue Oxfords. <laughs> yeah, that that's is true. true. I, I do like um, – I have – but generally I do actually like um, – I like Oxfords that aren't Brogued. But I, I do like both. I don't think I've ever seen you wear a pair of Brogues. I have a pair of uh, of um, these slip-on full Brogues from Crockett and Jones. Mm-hmm. They're really special. How about plain toe or cap toe? I think I prefer plain toe. Plain toe. Nice. All right. See, we change them up. Yeah. (laughs) This is probably an easy one, but loafers or sneakers? Loafers. Do you you own sneakers? Of course. I mean, everyone man needs, at least needs those, but I do. How am I supposed to know? You don't wear (laughs) t-shirts. It's true. Just for working out and and whatnot? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 All right. So uh, for for style, spring, summer, or fall, winter? I'm going to have to go with spring, summer. Summer, okay. Uh, morning shower or evening shower? Morning. Morning shower. Jeans, chinos, or trousers? Trousers. Least favorite James Bond? Daniel Craig. Ooh. Fighting words. Controversial. <laughs> Fighting words with David Zeritsky. <laughs> <laughs> Notch lapels or peak lapels? Notch. Navy or charcoal? Navy. Navy, okay. Lifting or cardio? Um, cardio. Works at a gym, too, so... Take that one seriously. And then if you're 
listening to a song in the morning just trying to get pumped up for a big day, what song is it? Yeah, th- this is one I did put some thought into, um, so I figured you'd ask that. And, uh, you know, I, I, I think I, I like to listen to, to the James Bond soundtracks to get pumped up. I listen to a lot of music, a lot of um, classical music, jazz, but I, I actually like the James Bond soundtracks. There's one track in particular from, uh, that John Barry wrote for The Living Daylights called um, Hercules Takes Off. It's got a, a drum machine, so it's kind of it really has that pumping rhythm to it. But it has these these big orchestra hits that I I just I've always loved that one. I do love the more era of film scores, like more the soundtracks. Era. Yeah, there's something because like they get so they get really funky. That whole era, yeah, because of the seventies. I, I was debating whether to say that that track or um, from 1981's "Your Eyes Only." One of my favorites by Bill Conti is "Runaway." which is very funky, kind of... Um, I like it better than Bond 77, which is kind of like the go-to funky Bond track. Mm-hmm. But uh, Runaway by Bill Conti is, is one of my favorites. It kind of has a little bit of the disco vibe going with some of the strings. I, I, that was, that's also one of my favorite tracks for getting pumped up. I, I listened to both these tracks on my way here, just so you guys know. Oh. Wow. Oh, all right. Well, you came in and because I want I want to get pumped up for this podcast. Yeah. Well, we're gonna put those on the playlist. <laughs> yeah, I know. Well, so that's that's what I've learned too about you is you also have a, like a very deep affinity and knowledge of opera and classical music. And is there the, does that tie into Bond at all, or is that just something you see as? Uh, I'm not sure if, how much Bond had to do with that. You no, know, I, I mean, I guess when I go to the opera, I can feel like Timothy Dalton in The Living Daylights. But but uh, I, I've always. I mean, I, I've, I guess I just wanted to learn more about music as much as I can. And I've gotten into classical music and opera a lot, probably mostly in the past decade, maybe a little more. But um, I think John Barry did like the opera because occasionally when I, I'll go see a new opera I'd never heard before, and I'll hear something that John Barry took and put into a Bond score. And, and that, that really, like, gets me so excited. There was an opera I went to, I think it was last season, called Adriana Le Couvreur from uh, the early 1900s. And there's this passage in there it keeps going on and on. And I'm like, this sounds really familiar. And I was like, this is from Moonraker. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. I didn't realize I was listening. I think it was a James Bond radio episode where they dove into the, to the films. And I think they were doing... I'm going to mix it up now, but it was showing how, how much John Williams had taken from like late 1800s uh, classical music and put that into either Star Wars or Indiana Jones. And I was like, there's, a, there's an entire world of music that I feel like I'll never actually get into unless it's explained to me in that way. Oh, yeah. John Williams took a lot. He took well, probably music ranging from um, late 1800s through the, through, like, the mid-1900s. A lot of Star Wars, I mean, some of it comes from, um, and there's this Holst, The Planets, which is, and, and uh, Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. Those are two pieces that are from um, the early 1910s. I can't remember exactly the year, maybe like 1913, I think, for The Rite of Spring. Now, the, these pieces, um, there are some things directly lifted from The Rite of Spring that appear in Star Wars that um, I think George Lucas uses as temp tracks, and I think he liked them so much, which which happens sometimes in film that you ask the composer to write something very similar to it or just 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 take this. So that happened. John Williams has done that for quite a few things. There's a great piece. One of the Probably one of the most famous things he wrote for E.T. was um, some of that um, film, something like the flying music towards the end, which he took... Um, Directly from uh, from Howard Hansen's Second Symphony, which was written in the mid twentieth century, and that's like that's probably one that not as many people know of. But I think John Williams actually has helped me learn about some of this music, this classical music. Yeah, because I knew it first from John Williams, as I think a lot of people from um, the John Williams generation, you know, people that grew up in eighties, seventies, eighties, nineties films, probably heard it first through John Williams before they found out what this classical music was, if they ever found out what the classical music was. I'm getting chills just thinking about that E.T. score right now. I feel like I go back and uh, and watch it. So we're ramping up for Bond 25, and some stuff has already come out about the film and, and the, the style. Like, what are, you, what are you most excited for as we come up to the new movie? I 
think I'm most excited just to see if there's any more clothes we haven't seen yet. Oh, I hope so. Yeah, we have seen a lot. There's oh. been a lot of photos. I don't, um, want, I don't watch trailers as a policy. You don't watch trailers. Okay, because yeah. we did see a lot in the trailers, but I, I think even before the, the trailer came out, there were a lot of paparazzi photos or, or even official photos that showed off some, a lot of the outfits. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then besides Bond 25, what are you most excited about in the next year? Next year, probably more more trips that I might go on. I want to go visit more Bond locations. That's one thing my wife and I have uh, bonded over, being able to go to Bond locations. Because, I mean, she likes, I think she, when I've shown her James Bond films, I think she likes them most for just to see all these exotic locations. She's been to some. I haven't been to some of them. And uh, I think that's kind of like a way that we can like both get into bond is is visiting these locations. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, it's entryways for everybody. That was your honeymoon, right? You were in Rome and oh, no, in uh, in Venice. Ven- oh, Venice, yeah. Venice. I was gonna say Casino Royale because I remember you took a picture of of the house that came down. Well, the house that well, where the house was. Oh yeah. Well, where it never was, but where it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. But yeah, well, I love I actually love Venice more for Moonraker. Hmm. And what's top on the travel list right now? Well, we, we were just discussing it earlier today, and we, we might be going to uh, uh, Vienna, where, where Bond goes in Living Daylights. That, that's uh, Living Daylights is kind of is one of my favorites. Um, a lot of it is for the classical music and all those places that Bond goes to in Vienna. So probably won't go to the uh, Afghanistan that he goes to, which I think they filmed in Morocco. But I can, I can go to Morocco someday. Yeah, I want to take that train that he takes, Inspector. Oh, yeah. It's a nice train. I know. I, I've never been on a train that nice. Me neither. I just got off the Amtrak, so I'm definitely not even close to that bar. <laughs> Baby steps. <laughs> Baby steps, yeah. Well, Matt Spazer, thank you for coming on the Button Up Podcast. Everybody has to make sure they check out Suits James Bond. You're you're doing a lot more on Instagram, it seems like, too. Yeah, you can find me at Bond Suits. Bond Suits on Instagram and uh it's bondsuits.com, right? Bondsuits.com yeah. is my website. That's great. And uh, we'll catch up with all the stuff you got planned coming up for Bond 25 as you deep dive into Daniel Craig's stuff. And and uh, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks for having me. Of course. <laughs>